Good morning. We are at the uh, at the end of this series, but this is not the end of the journey. And so, over the course of the last six weeks, we've started on a journey that hopefully will continue for all of us as we wrestle through what it means to truly be a follower of Jesus and to be a disciple who makes disciples. And over these weeks, we've looked at what it means to hear the voice of God, what it means to adjust the potential that He's revealing when He speaks, what it means to model Jesus in life-on-life relationships, what it means to prepare others to follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and love like Jesus. Last week, we talked about releasing people, not holding expectations over where they go and how God's going to use them, not not looking to just plug holes in ministry areas, but to truly empower people with their in their giftedness and, and release them to wherever God is calling them. And today we're going to look at the last, the last, I'm doing air quotes, the last value of a lifestyle of discipleship, which is what we what are all these values are. It's the values that if we live these, then we're going to have a lifestyle of being a disciple. I've said this before, though. These values do not live in separate boxes. These are not values that we check one off and we go on to the next one and we go on to the next one. That would be like a program or a system. These values are always working in concert all the time. And sometimes we get that mix just right. And sometimes we don't because we're human. And that's why the journey continues because we're still learning to walk like Jesus and to walk with Jesus. This last value is following up on last week. Last week was release. This week is we invest in other people's kingdom potential. Some of you might remember a few weeks ago, in week four, we talked about, uh, we looked at Paul's illustration that as a master builder, he built on a foundation or he planted in God's cultivated land, that that's who we are if we're a follower of Jesus, we're his cultivated land. And he says, build carefully. Build carefully, because at some point, all of this is going to be set aflame. And if we didn't build with costly things, our work will be shown for what it was. And I had that illustration. I had the, I had the trowel and I had the brick. And I said, you know, if I laid the brick and I laid a good foundation, I put tissue paper and cardboard and all this other stuff on top of it. When the fire hit, you might have a foundation, but everything else is going to go up in smoke. This last value takes that and just just turns it a little bit towards us investing in people and understanding that we need to be open-handed when we're we're working with somebody and we're discovering their God calling and we're we're releasing them into that. We we don't hold our own expectations, but it also kind of encourages this last value says we need to invest for their success. Maybe an easier way to understand it is, is like parents to children. I I raise them up. I don't expect them to, to stay in my home forever. I don't raise them up to be my children. I raise them up to be adults. And there's a certain amount of releasing I need to do because they can't be me. They can't fulfill the expectations of the things that I didn't, I didn't get to do when I was a kid. But I also need to invest. And I need to invest for their success. I need to invest so that they have everything they need to be successful. Now, as a parent... Sometimes we can't do all of that. We can't pour in all of that. But God can. And so we give what we can. We give what's costly to us towards their success, and we're trusting that God does the rest. We're going to unpack that a little bit as we go into the message today. Would you take a moment? Let's let's pray together, and then we'll dive right in. Father, I thank you for this journey that we've been on together. Father, continue to give us the creativity of you, the understanding beyond our own understanding, being able to see things the way you see, Father, unimaginable possibilities. Jesus, continue to draw into reality all those things that are possible and and seem impossible, but are from the Father and are intended to accomplish his greatest good. And Holy Spirit, Empower us. Would you come and be with us today? Empower us to not only hear and to understand, but to leave changed. 
to leave with a better sense of how all of these values work together. That we can be a follower of Jesus, with Jesus on the journey, and we can live it in a way that we can help others be followers of Jesus, walking with Jesus on the journey. Trust you to bring about what needs to be said and to withhold what doesn't need to be said. And we follow your lead in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, we, we encountered the Macedonians, right? So we had Paul gets this vision, and he, this man from Macedonia says, hey, come help us, and he goes, and who, what's the first group that he meets? A group of women. And so he goes, and he, he, he ministers to these women, and there's, there's Lydia, and she's a businesswoman, she comes to faith in Christ. She's already, she had already believed in God, but she gets this, this clarity from Paul being able to share his encounter with Jesus and unpack the scriptures. And she's, she gets baptized, her whole house gets baptized, and she uses her business to support the ministry of the early church. We see the jailer do the same. And we saw the disciples, when they, when they had those encounters, they were following the Spirit and they released them. They didn't say, hey, come with us on the road. You need to be in professional ministry. They understood that as a follower of Jesus, we're all in professional ministry. And so they released them to the calling that God had. But then there's this element of the ministry continuing, and, and all of them, if you look back in Acts 2, early believers, they, when they were encountered, they encountered the Holy Spirit, they encountered God, they sold everything they had and gave to one another as they had need. There was this understanding of generosity. There was this understanding of, I don't need all this stuff. I've got more than enough. Let's share. That's a little counter to our culture. As we come into 2 Corinthians 9 today, Paul has continued to minister to the Macedonians. And he's writing to the Corinthians about this. And, and in the, the verses before what we're going to read today, he says, look, the Macedonians have been so inspired by how graciously you as the Corinthians gave. You empowered us with resources to be able to go and to minister to them. And so they also are wanting to be generous. But there's some things to learn inside, in, inside of here as we think about being generous and, and investing towards someone else and the ministry God has called them to. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Paul says this, Remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, Having all that you need, you will abound, you will be able to be generous in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. The point's pretty simple, it's pretty clear there, isn't it? The point is, disciples are generous toward others as an act of worship. I don't know about you, but over the years, there have been moments where I had plenty. There have been moments where I haven't had a whole lot. And there's hand-wringing whenever you think about what you're going to do with that money, whether there's plenty or whether there's not. Sometimes there's a whole lot more hand-wringing when there isn't plenty. But when you think about investing, when you think about taking the resources you have, and giving them to somebody else, if you think of it as an act of worship, the hand-wringing sort of stops. I don't know about you, but my experience has been that when I think of it in those terms, the hand-wringing stops because now I'm realizing I'm not just giving my stuff. I realize I'm, I'm worshiping God, and the worship of Him 
reflects back to me that he really owns it all. How can I worship him with what I'm giving without understanding that he gave it? You follow me? How can I worship him with what I'm giving unless I understand he gave it? It's not an act of worship if I think it's mine and I'm just sacrificing it. If I think I got it of myself and I'm just giving it over to God, that, I mean, sacrifice can be an act of worship. But if, I, if he's really God and he's really worthy, then there's part of my understanding has to realize he gave it. It all came from him. The paycheck may have come as a result of the sweat of my brow, the work of my hands, but the job that I have, the life that I live, the breath that I breathe, all of it, everything that made that possible was from him. Even the very resources that we have are from him. So the, what's the situation here with the Corinthians? The Corinthians, they were already mature. They were already generous. They were already eager to help. And Paul writes this letter to them because he's working with the Macedonians. The Macedonians have been super inspired by the Corinthians' generosity. And when he writes them, he says, look, I want to make sure you're ready. Now, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes. I don't know what Paul might have heard. I don't know what generated him writing this letter to them and specifically addressing this. But in the midst of this passage, we, we get the sense that Paul's a little bit concerned that the Corinthians aren't ready. So you have a group of people, they're mature, they understand everything, all the resources are God, they want to give. And yet Paul's writing and saying, I just want to make sure you're ready. So I don't know what was going on, but I'm, let's just assume for a minute they're human because I'm pretty sure they were. And in the midst of trying to get all this together, maybe there was an element where they were doing this in their own strength, where they, they'd been doing ministry, they'd been giving it a ministry, and now it was just becoming sort of rote. It was becoming more religion than it was vibrant relationship and faith. I don't know that that's the situation. It may have been. You know, sort of like in, in Christian worship, we pass the plate or we have the buckets or, you know, whatever it is. That sort of becomes part of our doing. But do we see it as an act of worship? Do we see it as an acknowledgement? And, and not just in this room, and not just when worship service is happening, and not just when we pass the buckets and pass the plate or whatever it is, but do we see the, the, the lending or the giving of what we have to others as an act of worship? God, you gave it. If somebody else needs it, here. So for whatever reason, Paul is concerned that they're not ready. And he also specifically says, look, give whatever you've decided initially in your heart to give and do it cheerfully. That's instructive to us, that we make sure that when we give, we're not doing it out of obligation. We're not doing it out of duty. Obligation and duty are not bad. But if we're not cheerful about that, then it's not an act of worship. It's really not. And he's like, he's saying, just cautious, cautious. Don't go there. Don't let it become rote. That when we give, we don't blow trumpets and we don't make a big noise about, hey, I'm giving. But we want that giving to be something that is given to God. And part of the heart of what settles that for them and for us is that understanding that God owns it all. And he's saying to them, look, do this as an act of worship and settle this matter. Because once we settle that God owns it all and that this is an act of worship, it's a lot easier to join God in what God is doing. Because we're like, yeah, sure, whatever you need, Dad. Whatever you need. And then Paul turns it just a little bit. Look at verse 9. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now the point, I want to say the point and then we're going to go back. The point is disciples are generous in every way with no hooks. 
Disciples are generous in every way with no hooks. And when I say every way, it's not just financially. It's time, it's space, it's compassion, it's empathy. But the secret to that is to start with it's an act of worship. Because if I can acknowledge that this is an act of worship, I'm giving to God, like God, you gave me the time that I have on this earth. You gave me the money that I have this week. You gave me the breath that I have today. You gave me the emotional bandwidth I have for this hour. You gave me all of that. And if I give that back to you as an act of worship, or I give it away as an act of worship to you, I do that knowing you own it all. I do that not expecting that I'm going to get more, but knowing that if I need more, you can easily give more. See, the issue of giving has never been an issue of whose stuff it is. It's always been his. The issue of giving has never been about how much do I give and how much is fair. The issue of giving has always been about two things, acknowledging who owns it, but trusting the one who gave it. Because the root of giving starts with the root of trust in the one who gave. If your dad owned the cattle on a thousand hillsides, if your dad owned all of the property of the United States, if your dad owned all of this world, would you be worried that when you see a need and you give, that your dad couldn't supply what you need? If it's your dad, do you, do you worry that your dad won't see what your needs are? And as a dad, be like, man, I, you know, I, I, see, I see you have a need. Let me give. Now, maybe your dad wasn't a great example. And maybe for you, as you try to answer that question, it's like, yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand a dad who could do that. Paul is giving us a picture of that kind of dad. He's saying, just like a, a person who goes to a farmer and says, what seed do you need? You sow as generous as you want. You try to get as big of a harvest as you want. And if you run out of seed, call me call me. I got more. That's the heart of a dad who sees his children actively engaged in something good and say, yeah, I would just want to keep going. I want to keep giving. And when we think it's ours and we take ownership of it, we actually break that trust and we break that relationship because we're saying it's mine. We forget who the owner really is, and we forget where our supply comes from. When we do those two things, then we live in a place where we're afraid about every penny and about every dollar. It doesn't mean hard times don't come. It doesn't mean lean times don't come, but your father knows what you need. And if we're listening to him, both in the daily choices that we make but especially in those times where we have an opportunity to be generous to others. He will see and he will supply. But what about the no hooks thing? See, we're expected to invest in others, and this is, I don't know why Paul felt it again. I don't know why he felt it so important to address this to the Corinthians. Maybe, again, just because it's a human thing. But he said, we're expected to, to, to give and to invest in others with no hooks. And it's more than just finances. With, him, with them, I don't know what all they were collecting. I don't know what all they were pouring into ministry. But we do know it's more than finances. It's, it's outside of our comfort zone. It often causes us to be, take risks. We're often stretched by trying to be generous. And we're tempted heavily to take control. For some people, Taking control means I'm going to manage my books really tight, and I'm going to know where every penny is, and I'm going to create a little bit of margin. And I'm going to, and so for those of you who are really financially minded and you have that accountant mindset, great. Just recognize your control for what it is. For those of you who panic and freak out because you're seeing the bank account getting low, just recognize your control for what it is. And start to recognize the places where you're not in control. Verse 11, where it says you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. The, it, the way that it 
expresses that. The, the, the way the Greek language expresses that is you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every, every occasion, meaning generosity includes all kinds of investing. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous on every occasion. I don't know about you, that's not how I normally live. Financially, emotionally, spiritually. I live as if I've got a reservoir tank that I carry around with me, and when that gets to the bottom of the tank, we've all felt it, we feel stretched. We feel like one more thing, it's gonna, the, the hair that breaks, the, you know, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, the last hair, the last nerve, we've all used those expressions. That's the mindset of when we live and we think that this is all ours, and we think that our emotional energy is just ours, it all depends on us, we run thin. When we think our finances all depend on us, we run thin. We need to remember that putting conditions on our giving and putting conditions on what we have expresses a lack of trust in the one who gave and the lack of trust in God's ability to work through us to deploy others. We also need to remember that we may miss the bigger picture of how that generosity encourages others. When Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he's like, you so encourage the Macedonians. Like, they're ready to go. The whole region of Achaia, like, they've got it in the bag, man. They are ready to go. And I want to make sure that you Corinthians are not stuck in a place where this is just what you're doing. And then he puts the final point on it. Look at verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 12. He says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service that you have proved yourself, by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, he gets, he gets a little wordy there. We got we to pull that apart. But first, let me say this. Disciples deeply desire to join God in meeting any area of need. So disciples are going to, they're generous towards others as an act of worship. Disciples are generous in every way with no hooks. And disciples deeply desire to join God in meeting any area of need. I don't know about you, that doesn't come naturally as a human. Right? Naturally, as a human, it's survival. It's all about, you know, number one, trying to protect self, trying to make sure I have enough for, for me and my family. And what Paul is laying open for them is this service that you perform, this sacrifice, this willingness to trust and to worship through all the resources that you have, it provokes worship from others. It provokes a greater opportunity for God to show how gracious and how generous he is. Generosity invests in the development and the deployment toward the kingdom impact that we're all designed for. That's what we're called to. And, and this is not a stewardship message. This is not about, hey, increase your giving. Da, 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 da. This is, are we generous towards the kingdom impact that others are to have. And you say, well, that's a lot of buzzwords. What is a kingdom impact? Are we generous towards something we know God is calling someone to? Are we generous in a moment where we're sitting there and maybe it's at the laundromat or the coffee shop or the barbershop, whatever it is, and somebody next to us, we strike up a conversation and there's a moment of openness. Are we listening? And do we take that time and be generous and give whatever God shows us they need with wisdom and making sure we're following God's lead, not just giving, 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 because that in and of itself isn't good either. We all know there are times we can give, and it enables rather than helps, because we're not actually giving what's needed. We're giving what's being asked for. 
We're not giving what's needed. But here's what happens. Look at verse 14 when it says, in prayer, they will yearn for you or their hearts will go out to you. There is a Greek word there, epipo fountain. Everybody say that with me because that's fun. Epipo fountain. Okay, that may not be the, the proper pronunciation, but that's how I say it. Epipo fountain. What it means is to long for and to deeply desire. And in this context, it may be understood that there is a deep desire for God to bless the Corinthians and fill up any area of need in them. From who? The Macedonians. What Paul is saying is, have you, have you ever had somebody just out of nowhere just bless you? And, and when I say the word bless, like they saw you needed something and they just gave it. No questions. They, they, didn't even, they didn't pause. They knew you had a need, and they just said, here, take it. That might have been a family member. It might have been a friend. It might have been a stranger. And they walked away. No hooks. What's your first desire in that moment? They've met your need. And maybe they met more than your need. Is there in you a response that says, Oh man, I wish I could give. I wish I wish I knew what your need was. Cuz I'd love to give back. Like we want to do it as a trade. Right? Cuz some of that is just us and guilt and like all that kind of stuff. Like that's our that's our uh that's our pride in the way. But deep in that is something that is wired of God. And if we take the pride out of the way, what Paul is expressing to the Corinthians is look Corinthians, you gave, and the Macedonians responded, and they're like, wow, this is so amazing. And so now they're giving, and they're saying, God, as we think about the Corinthians and how generous they've been, we're praying that you would pour out, you would open the floodgates of all that you have, and you would make sure that every single need, every single area that they have want or need, that you would fill them up. Generosity begets generosity begets generosity. It just does. And if we get the pride out of the way and understand who gives it, and we get that situated rightly with God, where he's the one giving, and when we're generous, it's an act of worship of him, we can then go, wow, I can receive, and I can turn back to dad, and I can go, hey, dad, can you, like, that was so awesome. Can you please, like, give them more? Give them more. That's so awesome. That's what Paul's trying to get across. So it's not a complicated message today. Maybe not complicated in our understanding, but it is complicated to live, isn't it? Because always, in, 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 when, whenever we have resources and survival, that's a challenge. And when we have to get beyond ourselves and look towards empowering others, that's a challenge because a lot of times we feel like we're doing everything we can just to get through the day. What Paul puts in front of the Corinthians and what he puts in front of us is how do we invest in others for their kingdom impact? If I say that differently, how do we take everything he's given us and open-handedly say, whenever you need it, for whatever you need it for, God, Show me. It's yours. And I'll listen. And it may be time. It may be money. It may be physical resources. It may be material things. It may be emotional resources. We don't know. But if we have that trust, like you've given me all that I need for today, whatever you need, it's yours. And if you... Take some of this for someone else. You know my needs. I know you'll provide more. That could take us a lifetime to figure out. But if we're listening and we're following the Holy Spirit, on a personal level, He can help us work that out. On a corporate level, He can help us work that out. On a corporate level, it looks like this. We don't 
minister to people, invest in people so that they fill our holes, so they grow our ministry or grow our business or grow our... We don't do that. In the working world, you don't empower and develop an employee because your assumption is that they're going to stay in that position forever and always. You develop that person for wherever they're going. And if you're smart about that, you as a business, you gain from that. Because now they're fulfilled, they're, they're driving, they're enjoying their job. Maybe they do stay, maybe they don't. But you've gotten better because now you know how to develop somebody in that role. They've gotten better and they go on to the next thing. And through you, wherever they go, is blessed. And you've already been blessed. I don't know why we, we get in this idea of just sticking to our own little places and we get stuck in this place where I don't have what I need. I don't have enough of what I need. So therefore, anything that comes, I got to hold on to it. That's not how the body should operate. Whether it's in the church, whether it's about church groups, worship services, whether it's your boss and your business, whether it's your school, or whether it's your free time. You should always see the opportunity to pour into somebody else for where they're going and for what God is developing in their life and releasing them to it. So very simply, this, this week's message is about being generous and being able to give out of that and understand that God owns it all. And so I wanna, I wanna just tie that in a little bow right over here, okay? So we've now addressed the last value which is to invest for someone else's kingdom impact. And you have those, those six values that work in concert together. Somewhere during the follow journey, you may have hit the wall. I already said this a few weeks ago. You may have hit a wall and you're going, man, I just don't know how to do that. And, you know, and I'm hearing this and it just doesn't quite click. That's okay. This is part of this, why it's an ongoing journey. We're learning how to live in those six values all the time. There is a seventh value that goes along with this lifestyle, and that is the ability to coach others in faithfulness and fruitfulness. Sometimes we're just not there yet. We're not mature enough yet. And we talked a few weeks ago about, like, if it's piano, you know, if you've learned book one, then you can invest book one into somebody else. You can't teach them to be a concert pianist. And I shared, I think I shared the example of a young man that when we were doing the concrete tea pads out at Shank Park, there's a young man who came behind my friend who's a contractor. He wasn't able to be there the second week, but a young man who had watched him the whole previous week said, can I have his rake? And he led, like he was the one that brought the rhythm and brought the work to the crew, kept them all together. Is he perfect at concrete? No, but he had a chance and he got to grow in that moment. That is a part of what this looks like and seeing these values lived in us daily. And as we grow, we have more to invest in others. But it comes back to a simple thing. Am I a disciple? Am I a disciple? And to illustrate that, I want to I want to go in a, a slightly different graphic direction here. So let me show you this, this picture here of this tree. Some of you might recognize it. This is in Walt Disney World. This is there in, in, um, in Animal Kingdom, I believe. This is where the, the big African tree is. And that giant tree in the middle, it's not real. Just so you know, it's not real. The trees and bushes and palm trees and everything around that tree, they're real. Now, I guess to some extent this sort of works in Florida because seasonally you don't have a big contrast, right? There's a little bit to which year-round it's going to stay sort of green. So you never really have this moment, this shocking moment where you see this giant tree with big, bright green leaves and everything else around it is brown. Like our time of year right now here, we have this beautiful mosaic of all the trees changing colors. It would really be a stark contrast. 
But what is a contrast is when you look at that tree, it may look like it's alive. It may look like it has all kinds of health until you go up and you knock on it and you realize it's plastics. It's engineered materials. It's concrete. There is not a single element of that tree that's alive, but it looks like a tree. As a matter of fact, it's not a tree. It's a whole bunch of materials pretending to be a tree. But it's not a tree. All the stuff around it, the trees around it, they will grow. They will produce fruit. They will die. They will have seed that falls to the ground, and there will be other trees that grow. They have roots that extend out. They will go through a complete cycle of life. This tree will not die. It can only be torn down. The question of am I a disciple is sort of a question of which tree are you? Let me give you another example. So here you have two more trees. This one's a little bit closer to home, because so if you've never been to Florida and you don't really care about Disney, here's one that you're going you're gonna to be walking into a season here shortly where you get to look at this. Real tree, fake tree. Now, we can cut down a real tree and take it in the house and make it look like a fake tree. But there's a big difference. If you took a fake tree out to a pine tree lot and you set them beside each other, after a while, it's going to be pretty obvious which one is the real tree and which one is the fake tree. The real tree is going to keep growing. The real tree is going to produce its own pine cones. The real tree is going to thrive it's an envi- in its environment. It's going to have sap. It's going to have goo. It's going to have all things that, that, that represent it's alive. The fake tree will sit there with its nice little plastic bristles tightly woven over its metal frame in its little stand, and it'll look pretty, but it's not alive. The question of am I a disciple is which tree am I? To be a disciple means from the inner core of my being, messy, sappy, gooey, sometimes falling apart, sometimes getting it right, but I'm alive. And as those values take root in us, those values continue to be a part of who we are so much so that we don't think about it. It's like breathing. They just come through us, and we're sitting there, and we're going, yes, yes, God, I hear you, and I'm going to respond, and I'm going to make sure that whatever, however I respond in this moment, I'm modeling Jesus, and if there's an opportunity to pour into this person and prepare them to follow you and, and help them see you more deeply, I will. If not, okay, I'm going to pray for them and pray that you bring somebody else who will. If it's an opportunity to invest in them or release them into an area where they're, they have an opportunity to grow, I'm going to do that. It just becomes part of breathing if we're alive. If we're the fake tree, we put it on. We're a different material pretending to be a tree. We're plastic, we're concrete, we're not flexible, we don't thrive. It's mechanical. It's a program. It's a box we check. I said in the very beginning of this series, the mirror always turns to us first and then it turns outward. So turn the mirror towards us. Am I a disciple? Which tree am I? And then when we turn the mirror outwards, am I helping somebody be a fake tree? Or am I getting them in touch with God so they can be a real tree? Am I helping break down those structures and all those artificial things? so that they can be a real tree. The seventh value of coaching others to faithfulness and fruitfulness doesn't happen in us and doesn't happen for others until we've had an encounter with God. It can't. I said this early in the series, it's like not putting gas in the lawnmower. We can make the mower go, we can sort of make the blade turn, but that was designed to run on gas. We're the same way. Without the Holy Spirit, we're just a fake tree. 
doing it in our own strength, doing it in a program. So let me finish with this. Some of you, those of you in the room have seen these shoes here on the stage. You're probably wondering what they're for. Those of you online, now you can see. These shoes are the shoes that I wore when I was a church planter out in Ohio. They were some of my favorite shoes. These were like my favorite shoes. I shouldn't say some of. These were my favorite shoes. I got them at Meyer, which is a chain store out in Ohio that's sort of like giant uh, mixed with Walmart. Um, it's a wonderful store. I miss it. Um, this company, RJ Colt, I don't even know if they make shoes anymore. I've, they've certainly never made these. And what I loved about them was, you know, this was the whole era of, you know, contrasting stitching and, you know, all that. And so, but I wore these shoes and these shoes have gone through hundreds of hours of preaching. They've gone through hundreds of miles of walking the city of Finley, Ohio, ministering to people, hanging candy canes near Christmas time to invite people to our Christmas services, hanging out in a local coffee shop, praying for people. These shoes haven't done just ministry, they've done a whole lot of me stuff too. These shoes were present when I did things in my own strength. When I responded to the pressures of ministry with control and fear. These shoes went a lot of miles in growing up. And I wanted to put them on this morning for this message. They caught my eye. They've been hanging in my closet. And I only get them out once in a while. Because <laughs> they really were my favorite shoes. They're still comfortable, although I can feel all the places they've worn. And I noticed here on the edge, you know, they finally have a fray after a couple decades. And as I put it, went to put them on, I saw that fray, and I was reminded of my behavior this week. Thursday afternoon and Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, I did a lot in my own strength. I was overextended. My emotional tank felt empty. I was not very generous with any of it. And I went, and when I saw these shoes this morning, I was like, man, I remember that guy. I don't like that guy. As much as I like these shoes and all the things that they carried me through in those life lessons, there's a time for these shoes to go. There's a time to step into being a real tree, not be the fake tree, not a bunch of concrete and plastic trying to pretend to be a disciple, but walking forward in the power of God for what he has next. So we're going to have a moment together. I'm going to ask Gilbert to come out. These shoes are going to find a new home. It's going to be a permanent new home, right? There. I want to say this to all of you here in the room and all of those who see this video and watch online. There are things that we think worked. There are systems, there are programs, there are ministry methods, there are all kinds of stuff. There are ways that we have lived our life that we learn from our parents, that we learn from other people, and so far it's gotten us through. But it's been in our own strength. And it's time to let it die. It's time to put it in the basket and say it's done. Doesn't mean we're not going to screw up. Doesn't mean we're not going to have days where we tap out and we go, man, I'm in my own strength. But we're done with it. And we're committed to a new direction. That is what an encounter with God does. And so... If you have not had an encounter with God, where he has shifted your life, I want to pray for you right now. And this is not like, you know, everybody bow your head and, you know, we're going to pray a prayer. No, no, I, I, this, is not, this is not a confession for a commitment. 
when I ask for an encounter with God. That his presence would overwhelm you in such a way that no matter how comfortable those shoes were, you never want to walk in them again. Because you know what they've seen. And you know where that road leads. But you want to you walk with him. So wherever you've been on the journey, if you know you have not been following him, but you've been pretending really well, let's lay it down. Let's throw your shoes in the trash. And go with the trust that not only can he provide all that we need, but he can turn us into a real tree. He can take out the heart of stone but a heart of flesh. Transform us from the inside out and yet still graciously walk with us and teach us how to walk with him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much Forgive me when, when things that, that, that should be simple, I make technical. Forgive me, God, when I make teachable moments out of things that really should just be moments of silence. Forgive me, God, when I survive instead of thrive. Forgive us, God. When we have pretended to be a Christian, We've done all of the mechanisms of Christ-likeness and theological correctness. When we've had a form of godliness, but we've denied the power. It's not good enough. We're not going to sit here and beat ourselves over how awful we've been. Because we're human. We can't be you. But it's also unacceptable to go one more step without your power. Lord, we come to you and we ask in the name of Jesus, would you by your Holy Spirit encounter us and help us encounter you? In this stillness of this moment, Lord, we're just going to stand and sit, be present, and fold us. Let us know, God. Take the shoes off that we've been so comfortably walking in. Help us to see that, Lord, that you're taking those shoes off right now. Maybe it hurts as you slip them off our feet because they've become so comfortable. We don't know how to walk without those shoes. God, take them off. And in this moment, Lord, as you're taking the shoes off, thank you that you're pulling the basin over. And you're washing our feet. That you're cleansing us from all the ways we've walked. And I pray, Father, right now in this moment, as you're doing that and you're washing our feet with your hands, that you're reforming them, you're reshaping them like the layman who couldn't walk and you stitched his legs back together in a way where he could stand. Do the same with our feet, God. Do the same with our inmost being. Rewire us. Reform us. Wash us. And as you take the towel and you 
dry our feet, Lord. Help us to stand eye to eye, face to face with you. Help us to hear you say, my child, I love you. My son, my daughter, my friend, I love you. Pull us into your embrace, Jesus. That we not only feel your presence externally, but that you would go through us by your Spirit. And as you go through and into us, that you would change the nature of who we are in the deepest places. And from that change inside, let it blossom and grow. Come to the surface. We thank you, Jesus, for being our Lord and our Savior. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for transforming and renewing us. Make us pregnant in the richness of your presence and who you are. Revive us. And help us to live shoulder to shoulder with you, Jesus. Holy Spirit with you flowing in and through. And Father, you creatively laying out the road ahead. That everywhere we are, your kingdom is present. That your miracles are happening. And that lives are going from fake to real. Help us be disciples who make disciples, who make disciples as we walk with you, Jesus. We praise you and we thank you in your name. Amen.